to improve and bolster the mental wellness of pilots and other aviation professionals during very challenging times. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. Now, mental health has never been a comfortable discussion topic for those working in aviation, as it raises fears that revealing a mental health condition will lead to suspension or revocation of your medical certificate. Nevertheless, it's extremely important that we be open and honest about our own mental wellness, especially now given the added stresses we've all experienced over the past two years. Moreover, aviation professionals experiencing mental health challenges should know there are science-based solutions that can allow them to continue their careers after getting the treatment they need. Here to discuss those solutions today are three experts on mental health in aviation, and we'll begin with FAA Federal Air Surgeon Dr. Susan Northrup. If you go back far enough in the history of aviation medicine, anytime someone was diagnosed with a mental health condition, the likelihood of them returning to, to flying status was not good. We simply didn't understand enough about mental health. But over the last 30 years, we've done some incredible work. Not that there's still not a lot that needs to be done. And one of the biggest things that I can use venues like this to get a message out is the old rumor or belief that anyone with a mental health condition will never fly again is simply wrong. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some diagnoses that we get real anxious about and want to review. For instance, there are still several that have mandatory denials in them. Psychosis being one of them, bipolar disorder, personality disorders that manifest with multiple overt acts. Those are still very concerning, but there's a lot we know now that we can get safely back in the air once they're adequately treated and addressed. So 11 years ago, uh, we announced a policy where airmen could return to flying on a category of antidepressants called SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And there are four of them. And if you go to the Guide for Aviation Medical Examiners, there's a whole explanation on how you navigate this system. And initially, in those first couple of years, we required some pretty intense follow-up studies, if you will, full neuropsychiatric testing on a regular basis. And we looked at them every six months. But after a couple of years, we began to notice that these people are doing really well. And we backed off on the requirements. There are still neuropsychiatric studies that are required for people that are on special issuances associated with the SSRIs but they're a lot less than they used to be. And with 10 years experience under our belt, we're beginning to look at the mix of studies currently required to see if we can come up with one or two tests that are truly indicative of somebody having issues with their depression. In addition, we used to only look at pure depression for SSRIs. And we've expanded that where we're looking at some of the mixed diagnoses because many people have a combination of depression and anxiety. But if it's adequately treated, life is really, really good. Now, there's another side to that myth that leads to some interesting behavior in some of our airmen. And that would be, I'm just not going to tell the FAA or I'm not going to get treatment. And that's a little concerning to me. Because it's a lot easier for us to deal with mild forms of depression or bereavement or dysthymia 
than it is for us to deal with severe depression that has progressed to the point where someone might have taken an action, such as a suicide attempt or gesture. So we're trying to get the word to young people and airmen in general that, you know, it's okay to have some depression and anxiety in your life. The trick is to get the help you need before it becomes moderate to severe. In light of that information, it really can't be said enough that it's understandable for anyone to be feeling additional stress, depression, and grief in the COVID environment. Dr. Quay Snyder is president and CEO of Aviation Medicine Advisory Service. Some of the best studies have come out of the University of Glasgow, which are more surveys, but what they are doing is surveying pilots uh, who feel that they have Uh, mental health problems and challenges as a result of COVID, and that has increased substantially. Of those respondents, uh, a little over 60% indicated they did have mental health challenges. But what's disturbing is that even though they felt they would like help, an extremely small percentage have actually engaged any of the resources that are available to them. So we have pilots who are struggling in increased numbers Yet we have a reluctance to reach out for help, resolve those struggles. And I think it has an adverse impact not only on the individual's mental health, but also on aviation safety. My third guest is Greg Farley, Director of Aviation for John Deere and, like Quay, a member of the Fitness for Duty Working Group of the NBAA Safety Committee. Greg, have you seen these concerns manifesting on the operational side over the past couple of years? I think that you're seeing all all across the board, some flight departments have become incredibly busy and there's a huge amount of pressure on the pilots. Some are doing more flying than they've ever done, which means more time away from friends, from family, from your local support community. Then you have other departments where, you know, they've completely scaled back. You know, they do a lot of flying when kind of COVID subsides a little bit and then they hit a period of lull. And so you have a bunch of pilots and even aviation professionals that want to do what they're trained to do. And then those opportunities aren't there. And so then they start worrying about, is my job safe here? And what's next? And I think you kind of have both sides of this. So you have anxiety, you have time away from home, and then you have some depression and uncertainty about what the future may hold. Quay, how have you seen the COVID environment affecting those with pre-existing mental health conditions? Those people are certainly more at risk for increasing the magnitude of their problem, the severity. But even those people who in the past have been uh, mentally well and do have the resiliency are being challenged in ways that we haven't seen before for all the reasons that Greg said. We're seeing both the challenges of increased flying and being away and the stresses associated with that and the COVID environment, quarantining, isolation, the problems with particularly transcontinental flight or international flying. And then we're seeing those people who are fearing for their jobs because of the reduced flying requirements in certain environments. So we see increase in depressed mood from those folks. Uh, We see grief because many people have been affected by prolonged hospitalizations and death. And that involves uh, a lot of people in support. One of the things that we're seeing is a substantial increase in substance use disorders. People are attempting to, quote unquote, self-medicate with uh, alcohol and different substances to alleviate some of the stressors that they are experiencing to their detriment. Just to reiterate Quay's point, for the most part, Pilots 
they're probably not impacted by a clinical pre-existing mental health issue. So what you're seeing though is there may be some pre-existing notions towards a depression or anxiety, but they've they've been able to self-cope. They know how to how to manage it internally, but then you're putting these other pressures on and then it's causing them to slide up this scale towards a clinical issue. The other is, is you have people that maybe were really well off mentally, but their their ways that they had in practice mindfulness and their ways that they achieved this balance may not exist because they're either flying too much or or just the COVID and the isolations that keep popping up are keeping them from doing what they need to do to mentally uh, reset after every day. And then that drives them up this scale towards a serious concern on mental health. More of our conversation in just a moment. But first, this message from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, the latest digital edition of your magazine is ready. Just visit nbaa.org slash insider and all the latest intel will be in your hands. We're back now with Greg Farley, Dr. Quay Snyder, and Dr. Susan Northrup, and our discussion about best practices for maintaining our mental wellness, especially during this very unusual time. Dr. Northrup, 14 CFR 61.53 requires pilots with reason to believe or who know they have an impairment to stop flying and to seek treatment. But how can they know if their condition requires such actions? One of the best ways to report it is through your A&E, your aviation medical examiner, and they can help you walk through it. You know, barring that, or if you're not comfortable with your AME or they've retired, There are lots of advocacy groups out there that can help. The other really good place to find information is the Guide for Aviation Medical Examiners. And there are a whole bunch of disposition tables under the mental health pages. And in there, it it very clearly delineates what must be deferred to the FAA and what an AME could issue. So, for instance, let's take uh, bereavement. If the individual sought treatment and recovered, even if they had been put on an antidepressant for a short period of time, with the right documentation from the treating providers, the AME can actually issue. Dysthymia is another one, um, and minor depression. Anything past that, the AME can help, or the advocacy groups, or even the airmen, if they're so inclined to do it themselves, can collect the information, and the general requirements are spelled out in the Guide for Aviation Medical Examiners, and present that to the FAA on their own. I would encourage any pilot that does that, even before you take the documentation to your AME or the advocacy groups, read what you're given. Make sure there aren't any errors in the documentation. Because if someone said something that wasn't correct in that documentation, you have an ability to fix that up front. Because believe you me, we read every page. And if we see something that was either not reported before or is concerning, we're going to ask more information. And then you're stuck in this loop between we send you a letter, you send it back, we read it, we send you another letter. So read what you're given, read what your doctors have said. And then if there's corrections that need to be made, get them made up front. Quay, with more people seeking help with mental wellness concerns during the pandemic, what resources are available for them to find help? As you mentioned, there are some challenges with getting access to mental health professionals during this period of time. They're absolutely overwhelmed. Uh, Many of them cannot practice because they don't have licenses to do uh, virtual counseling. So the resources may be limited, but talking with someone, anyone, a close person, uh, someone through the EAP program, 
anything you can do if you're thinking of self-harm or harm to others, it's critical that you get this out in the open and get help as soon as possible. Greg, Quay mentioned EAPs, or Employee Assistance Programs. I know you're familiar with those. Please tell us more about what an EAP entails. Most of the time, they're, they can be set up through the company, through a, a separate provider, or they're part of your health insurance. Usually, you just reach out to HR at your company and see if there is an EAP that is available. And there's usually a lot of resources. As companies move and progress, um, there's becoming even more resources available besides EAP coaching resources. Um, and there's some entities out there. And, and while they may not completely understand aviation, if you're in a position where you're struggling, you need to get talking and you need to get opened up. And then companies like uh, Quay or others that, that walk the medical and the airman medical certification, that's where you go to find out, okay, what do I need to do to keep going and to maintain my current medical but if you're in a position of, of struggling with events, then, then you need to be talking, whether it's an EAP, whether it's a peer-based group. I know in our community, there's starting to be a lot of, of community groups, and that's turning into a resource while people are trying to get in to see a counselor. They're turning towards community kind of work groups to share and have a sense of community while they're struggling with issues. I think Greg hit it very well, the beauty of on. EAP program is that on the FA medical application, the MedExpress, it specifically excludes visits to EAP or visits for family or marital counseling from having to be reported on the medical application. And certainly that's a huge fear for many pilots is that if I seek help, I will not be continuing to fly. I will lose my medical certification. The FAA has taken a couple of uh, steps to try to dissuade people from that misperception in many cases. One, they've added three hours of AME training uh, for each of their recurrent training on mental health and are encouraging uh, AMEs to ask about mental health. And although it may not be a disqualifying condition to uh, encourage people to seek help, and it can be through the EAP, there can be mental health providers, which would trigger a reportable event, but not a disqualifying event. But certainly the way I think of it is if you don't get help early, the problem will just continue to deteriorate. And then the challenges with getting you back into a healthy and safe situation will be more significant and that resolution will take longer. So it's better to intercede early and allow the resources that are out there, uh, which Greg mentioned, uh, to jump in and assist you. That will do as much as possible to preserve your mental health and the safety of aviation. So what steps can we take then to improve our own mental wellness or resiliency? Greg, you and I have spoken before about the importance of getting a good night's sleep. If you get stressed and you're not sleeping, then this is a self-perpetuation. And Quake could probably talk more about this, but as we start interrupting our REM cycles, we're not getting the restorative sleep that we need, and that can further complicate mental fitness and mental health issues. As Greg said, the loss of REM sleep is the cognitively and mentally restoring aspect of it, as opposed to the deep sleep that uh, some people will experience gives them the physical restoration. But the ability to 
have a good diet, to practice mindfulness, to be able to allow those things that are stressing you to be put in the proper perspective uh, or to realize that you don't have control will allow you to sleep better, function better, and have a better uh, mental health attitude. But again, this is not something that you just pull off the shelf and say, I'm going to be mindful. It takes regular practice, just like uh, developing sleep habits, developing a good diet, getting outside and doing some exercise. All of these things can help with the sleep uh, that people are having, but also their mental well-being. And the success of these things has been very well documented in a number of studies. Each step builds on the one before it. It's just like aviation. There are a lot of elements to making someone a good pilot, not just the flying skills, but the navigation, the situational awareness, and it takes regular practice. And that's why we have recency and currency requirements. But mental health takes the same sort of practice. You need to apply all the different techniques on a regular basis and practice them so you develop that and have the resiliency to allow you to potentially flourish, but at least not languish in this type of environment. Dr. Northrup, what other steps would you recommend that are available to assist pilots in overcoming mental health concerns and, in more severe cases, to help them find their way back to the flight deck? If there's been an event that causes stress, humans react to that stress. And it may be psychologic, it may be physical. So part of it, particularly, for instance, following an aircraft incident or accident, there are critical incident stress management teams or there's concepts like that. And one of the things, particularly for that sort of incident, is the ability to normalize the response. And what I mean by that is you have something dreadful happen in your life. You can expect that you might relive that dreadful incident for a while. And that's normal up to a point. And what critical incident stress management does gives the individual a chance to say, okay, I'm allowed to feel like this this is okay. And then get them to a point where they're talking to people with similar things. Now that whole concept leads a bit into peer support networks. These are pretty common in the airline industry at this point, and it's beginning to get into some other areas of aviation. But essentially there are specially trained peers that someone who's having a rough spot can talk to. And sometimes just talking it out with another person that's in a similar career really helps. You can go talk to your pastor. You can go talk to a a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist, but there's lots of avenues to go. And if you're, you're having issues of that nature, again, you can go to the advocacy groups because several of them have networks established of people who understand aerospace medicine, who understands what it's like to be an airman and can help navigate the system. And as we've said a couple of times, it's critical to identify it early before it gets out of hand. We've touched a bit in this conversation on how drugs and alcohol can both affect our mental state and serve as unhealthy responses to depression and other wellness concerns. Can you tell us a bit about the FAA's HIMSS program to help pilots in such cases? The HIMSS program is absolutely awesome. The Human Intervention Motivation Study. Essentially, it's a method for people to get back to flying after they've had a substance or alcohol abuse. And you're right, uh, depression and anxiety can be comorbid diseases. In other words, they occur with substance abuse sometimes before. And people who are anxious about seeking help might 
treat their own symptoms with alcohol or drugs. Or if you're into the cycle of addiction and realize that you're beginning to hit that rock bottom and you've jeopardized your career or your love, you can get depressed on that end. So part of the HIMSS program is trying to ensure that not only is the substance dependence or addiction taken care of, but the underlying condition that much like the chicken or the egg could be before or after, but is associated with that. And it's a very successful program at keeping people sober. Quay, I know you're a proponent for hymns as well, and I've spoken with pilots who've told me how the program helped them regain a sense of mindfulness about their condition, and especially of how to better manage their responses to it. Greg and I are very familiar with mindfulness and the various techniques for it, but uh, one thing can be just focusing on one particular thing and going out and doing yard work would be a great example. It just moves your mind away. For me, I go out and run through trails in the country and it just allows me to appreciate what is there and what is normal and forget about, at least temporarily, those things that are stressing me. But it puts me in a much more resilient position uh, when dealing with everyday stressors and those added by the COVID environment. There are many formalized ways of practicing mindfulness and, you know, everything from meditation. But what helps me, and and it sounds simple, is most of my day is spent behind a computer and and thinking through problems. But sometimes what helps me uh, to kind of clear my head is to go work with my hands. And whether I'm working on a vehicle or or go and, and weld in my shop, it's just a different engagement of the brain. And that helps to kind of clear the day's stresses by engaging a completely different area of my brain. As pilots, we're probably the worst judge of our own fitness. So uh, I always encourage pilots to run through the um, famous I'm safe checklist, illness, medication, stress, alcohol, fatigue, things we've been talking about, and the eating and hydration. And to do an honest assessment of that, And to do it with each other, if you're fortunate enough to fly in a crude airplane, to run that checklist on each other to make sure you're doing well. And as Greg said, if you're focusing on the past, you're focusing on the future, and you can't focus on that flight, you need to be talking with someone, you need to get help. Because one, you're not in a mentally optimum space, but as a consequence of that, you're potentially jeopardizing safety and you're not being a professional pilot. So when pilots call our office and describe a certain situation and ask the question, should I fly? What I usually ask them is, would you put your family on a single pilot aircraft to fly with that pilot who is in the situation that you just described to me? If you can't 100% say, yes, I would unhesitatingly put my family on there, then you probably shouldn't be flying. And at least you should be talking with someone. And it may require a peer to point that out to you. It definitely is a challenging time. And I think that if you're finding out that you're struggling with where your thoughts are, whether you're focused on the future or focused on the past, or if you just know that you need to get some help, uh, just start talking to somebody, find somebody, your EAP a trusted friend, a family member, any peer group, any community group, get talking to somebody and get the help that you need. 
We've addressed several ways in this podcast how members of the aviation community can bolster our mental wellness and resiliency, and where to find help when we feel overwhelmed by challenges in our lives. I join with my guests today in encouraging anyone concerned about their individual mental fitness to reach out to organizations like AMAS, which offers assistance for pilots and other aviation professionals facing medical challenges, or the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, which operates a confidential national helpline at 1-800-662-HELP that offers a listening ear and provides referrals to more specialized treatment options. And as we've noted, you can also talk to your AME or private doctor, or a counselor, or a close friend. Additionally, the FAA provides a wealth of guidance about mental wellness in aviation, available through a quick Google search for specific conditions or concerns. You can also check out Dr. Northrup's Pilot Minute videos available on the FAA's YouTube channel. Lastly, you can also learn more about mental wellness and other fitness for duty considerations for business aviation operators at nbaa.org slash human factors. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Flight Plan.